0: let's pray God we thank you so much for this morning we thank you for uh, fellow believers that we can come into your building and worship you alongside we praise you for your word uh, we praise you that how much it teaches us and I pray this morning God that, um, that as we study your word that we would learn more about you that we would learn how amazing you are and that um, But as we study, we would just be completely focused on you, that you'd block out all distractions. I pray this in your name. Amen. Throughout this month of of June, uh, we'll be doing a study of the book of 2 Timothy, uh, which was the second letter written by the Apostle Paul to Timothy. In this first letter, Paul referred to Timothy as his true son in the faith. And in verse 2 of this second letter, Paul refers to him as his dear son. Paul is Timothy's spiritual father, and the two were very close. Timothy accompanied Paul on missionary journeys to Berea, to Corinth, and to Jerusalem, and he served as an ambassador for Paul to several churches. Paul wrote this letter to Timothy from his second imprisonment in Rome uh, shortly before his death, and church tradition holds that Paul did not escape this imprisonment, but that he was martyred for his faith there in Rome. And naturally, because of Paul's situation, a big theme in this book is suffering. Um, sufferings mentioned by Paul in each of these four chapters to some extent, and Paul's belief that he would not be released from this imprisonment influences all that he writes in this letter to Timothy. Uh, about a month ago, um, I got a call from my sister, uh, Katie, and she was, she was here in Salisbury. She was at a dentist appointment, and she had a consultation for a root canal that she was hoping to have in, in the following weeks. And uh, when she got to the office, though, the first thing they did was they numbed her mouth. Um, so that was... I was very clear to her that she was not just having a consultation, but she was actually having the procedure that day, which was great, except that she had taken her uh, three-month-old son with her because she thought that it was just a consultation about the root canal, not the actual procedure. So, uh, so she called me, asked if I could run over there and watch her son for her during the procedure. So I drove over, uh, went to the dentist's office, and I grabbed the car seat with my little nephew, Ross, and as soon as I picked him up, I realized that I had a very great responsibility uh, to take care of that little guy. So um, as you all well know, um, I don't have a lot of experience because I'm a proud father of zero children. Um, <laughs> however, I'm very blessed to be an uncle of, of seven uh, awesome nephews and nieces. But, but as an uncle, you just, you just do the fun stuff, uh, the easy stuff. You play games and you act goofy, but you don't ever really have any real responsibility. Um, you're just the, the fun uncle. I mean, who wants to be a dad when you can be a fun uncle? But but in that moment, I, I was carrying Ross from the dentist office out to my car, and I was I was feeling that weight of of responsibility. Um, I wanted to make sure that I did everything right so that that little guy was safe. Uh, before I went in to get him, it was kind of warm that day, so I parked my car in a shaded spot, uh, turned the AC up really high so that he'd be comfortable. Uh, When he got a little fussy, took him out of his car seat, made sure I was protecting his head, keeping it supported. You know, all the things that I'd heard my sister and my brother and their spouses uh, tell me were very important with their their little ones. Um, I knew that I was entrusted to guard something of unlimited value, and I made sure that I did everything I could to keep him safe. And I'm proud to say that he is very much still alive and healthy to this day. So... (laughs) Uh, this morning as we study chapter one, we'll see how everything that Paul writes to Timothy in this first chapter is related to the idea of guarding that good deposit that we as Christians have been given. And just as Paul finished that first letter uh, with the instruction to Timothy to guard the good deposit, we see him calling Timothy to do the same thing here in verse 14 of 2nd Timothy chapter one, where he again says guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. So what is this deposit that Timothy was given? Because he wasn't given an adorable baby to guard like I was. Uh, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9. We'll kind of be jumping around a little bit this morning. We'll start with verse 9. It says, He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the good deposit is the gospel. Verse 10 explains this gospel, saying that Christ Jesus is our Savior and that he has destroyed death and brought immortality to light. By living a perfect life and submitting himself to the will of God to die on the cross for our sins, Jesus provided us an avenue by which we can be forgiven of our sins. The sins that we commit each time that we break one of God's commands. And those can be all forgiven in Christ because of what he did in his life, his death, and his resurrection from the dead. By raising from the dead and by conquering death, Jesus gave us a glimpse of what our reward will be if we're faithful to him and trust in him to forgive our sins. That's what verse 10 means when it says that he has brought life and immortality to light. This gospel, the one that that Timothy was entrusted with, and the one that each and every follower of Christ has been entrusted with, promises to bring us eternal life through the work of God in Christ. And we've been given this gospel, as verse 9 says, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus. The gospel is not something that we earn by living a good life and doing good deeds. Verse 9 makes it clear that this gospel is something that we receive not something that we work for. Christ has done all the work, and we are given the grace through that work which he has done for us. And the good deposit that Paul was encouraging Timothy to guard is that gospel. But the very nature of Paul's warning to Timothy insinuates that there was a threat to that good deposit. If if you would, turn back with me a page or two in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now the enclosing instructions... At the conclusion of this letter, uh, this first letter to Timothy, Paul explains this further, starting in verse 20. So we're 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. And the ESV says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Those who weren't holding to the truths of the gospel were swerving from the faith. Timothy was facing opposition that was attempting to corrupt the truth of the gospel, and Timothy, as a minister of the gospel and as a follower of God, had a responsibility to protect that truth. By protecting the truth of the gospel, he would keep himself and those whom he influenced safe from false teaching and the consequences of straying from the truth. There are many face, uh, many threats Excuse me, that face us as we strive to hold tightly to the truth of the gospel things that attack the truth of what is taught in the Bible and attempt to discredit or distort the teachings of Christ. But they all have their root in one source, Satan, who is referred to as the father of lies in John chapter 8, verse 44. He's also described there as one who does not hold to the truth, and it's said of him that there is no truth in him. A couple of chapters later in John 10, it is said of him that he comes only to steal, kill, and destroy Satan's goal is to lead people away from Christ and to destroy the faith of those who follow Christ. That's why it's essential that each of us who are in Christ guard the good deposit of the gospel that we've been given. If there were no threat, then we would be free from any temptation to sin, and there would be no reason to guard what we have been given. However, we do experience temptation to sin, and we do have an enemy that seeks to deceive as many as he can to prevent them from having true faith in Christ. So we've been given the good deposit of the gospel and we've seen how uh, the goal of our enemy is to destroy that faith that we've been given. Let's take some time to look at how we can go about guarding this good deposit. In this first chapter, Paul lays out several ways that we can guard the good deposit, starting in verse 13, where he tells us to keep the pattern of sound teaching. Read with me, starting in verse 13. What you heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Paul's telling Timothy that the things that he has taught to him are the pattern of sound teaching. Paul's teachings make up a good portion of the New Testament, and we don't often think twice about his writings being considered as the holy words of God. Peter in 2 Peter chapter 3 directly refers to Paul's letters as having the same authority as the Old Testament. And in Galatians, we get more insight into Paul's teachings. In chapter 1 verse 11, Paul says, I want... You to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. And the remainder of that uh, first chapter of Galatians is is very fascinating to read. Uh, It speaks about Paul's early days as a Christian and how he continually met with the apostles to make sure that his teachings aligned with the truth of the gospel that men like Peter and James heard from Jesus himself. When Paul tells Timothy here to keep the pattern of sound teaching, he's referring to that which has been written in our Bibles. What we have in our hands are the very words of God, and they are what constitute sound teaching. Sound teaching is defined by what is written in the Bible. And just as the word guard is used by Paul to indicate that there's a threat to the good deposit, so is the word keep in this verse. Paul uses the word keep in verse 13 to show that there will be temptations and trials that try to persuade us to abandon sound doctrine. We briefly talked about John 8 verse 44 earlier when speaking about the character of Satan. And that section of scripture in John is also particularly interesting in showing the importance of keeping to sound doctrine. In the verses that precede verse 44, Jesus was having a discussion with some Jews who had been following him. In verse 31, Jesus said to them, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Just like what Paul was instructing to Timothy, true faith is evidenced by holding to the commands of Christ and not departing from the sound teaching that we have received in the Bible. As Jesus' conversation with these Jews continued, the condition of their hearts was revealed, and Jesus showed them that love for God the Father results in love for the Son, which is Jesus himself. So by the time Jesus gets to verse 44... Is explaining to them that even though they have a part of the truth, they don't have the full truth. And the result of that is that they are following Satan and not God. He speaks of Satan by saying he was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. And that phrase, not holding to the truth, is exactly what Paul was warning Timothy against. When false teachings arose, Paul wanted to make sure that Timothy knew the importance of holding to the truth of the gospel. And that's something that we have all been called to as well. If, you've been, if you have accepted Christ as your Savior and you were living for him, then it is your responsibility to guard the deposit of the gospel by keeping to the sound teachings of the Bible. For us, there's much to learn from what Paul's instructing to Timothy and how Jesus dealt with the Jews that he was conversing with in John chapter 8. At the beginning of Jesus' encounter with these Jews, we see men who'd been following Jesus but had not fully submitted themselves to his teaching. Through their conversation with Christ, it was made clear that that though they had a part of the truth, they didn't fully submit to God in every way. And their failing was huge. Their failing was that they believed in God the Father, they claimed, but they refused to accept Jesus as the Messiah. This breach of sound doctrine was enough for Jesus to declare that they were children of Satan and not of God. We too must be very careful about what we believe, because any deviation from what is taught in the Bible is a violation of Paul's warning to hold to sound doctrine. The Bible is the ultimate authority, and sound doctrine is not determined by, by what our culture says is acceptable or what we think should be acceptable. Sound doctrine is determined by the words of the Bible alone, and that is why we must make a commitment to holding to a literal interpretation of the Bible. The Chicago statement of hermeneutics was excuse me developed in one thousand nine hundred and seventy eight to help aid Christians in correctly interpreting the Word of God by laying out biblical principles for interpreting the Bible. So it was basically a really big document that they made to try to help Christians see very clearly how they should go about reading the Bible. And Article 15 states the, following uh, states the following considering biblical interpretation. It says, We affirm the necessity of interpreting the Bible according to its literal or normal sense. That is the meaning which the writer expressed. Interpretation according to the literal sense will take account of all figures of speech and any literary forms found in the text. So when it is said that we should interpret the Bible literally, uh, what, it, what it means is that we should read the Bible in the way that the biblical writer intended for it to be read. In simple terms, if, if the Bible says one thing, uh, it doesn't mean something else. So There's a flood of uh, post-modernism in the church these days, and, and post-modernism is a philosophy that states that, uh, that truth is relative and truth is subjective. You've likely heard a phrase uh, from someone that says, that well, that may be true for you, but that's not true for me. Or, uh, or we all need to find what is truth to us, and and that philosophy undermines the authority of God and the truth of His Word. Those who follow this line of thinking often read the Bible and take pieces of it as truth, while throwing out the parts of it that they disagree with. They twist the words of the Bible to suit their own needs. Some don't uh, understand how God made Adam and Eve, so they say that the verses concerning them are just a story, but but not a not a historical event that took place. Others don't believe that Jonah could have been swallowed by a large fish and somehow made it alive days later. So they say the whole account of Jonah is a made-up story that's meant to teach biblical principles, but it's not really a historical event that took place. Others don't like the thought of hell, so they just ignore all the verses in the Bible that talk about it. And others further distort the truth of the Bible and go so far as to claim that all religions lead to heaven. They believe that in spite of what Jesus himself said in John 14, 6, when he said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. This postmodern philosophy is one that we need to be aware of um, and one that we need to be on our guard against because it's prevalent in churches all over our country. And twisting the word of God to suit our needs and our lifestyle is sinful, and it's not what God intended. Psalm 119 declares that the entirety of God's word is truth, and that's the stance that we must take we are to keep to the pattern of sound teaching. All of our beliefs must rest on the word of God, not on our opinions, our preferences, or our ideas. The second way that we guard the good deposit is to not be ashamed of the gospel. If you still have your Bibles open to 2 Timothy, read with me starting in verse 8. It says, So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. In verse 8, Paul urges Timothy to not be ashamed of the gospel, but to join with him in suffering for the gospel. If you remember at the beginning of our time together, we talked about how, how Paul was in prison when he wrote this letter to Timothy. And this prison sentence was a direct result of him sharing the gospel. So Paul knew that it would be a temptation for Timothy and, and any believer that witnessed persecution to avoid sharing the gospel out of self-preservation. Even the disciple Peter gave in to this temptation when he denied knowing Jesus three times the night that Jesus was arrested. He was concerned about his safety, and in his flesh, he tried to protect himself. How often do we hide the fact that we are Christians? How often are there times where we have an opportunity to share the gospel with someone, but we don't want them to know that we're Christians, so we just keep quiet? It's a temptation that we all face. But if we are ashamed of the gospel of the good deposit that's been given to us, then those who are lost will have no way of hearing the good news. And if those who were faithful before us to share the gospel with us had kept silent about this gospel, then we would not have heard about it. We have been afforded great grace to have the opportunity to hear this good news and to receive this good deposit, and we should not keep it to ourselves, regardless of the consequences for sharing it. Shortly after Jesus ascended into heaven and the disciples had received the Holy Spirit, Peter and John were imprisoned and then put uh, before the Jewish leaders and elders. They had just seen what happened to Jesus at the hands of the same Jewish rulers, that he'd been arrested and killed publicly. Yet they went before the leaders and declared the gospel to them. And when these rulers rebuked them and commanded them to stop preaching about Christ, they responded. And you can see this in Acts chapter 4 verse 20. They responded by saying this, as for us, we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. Peter and John refuse to stop preaching the gospel. And we are blessed that, that the consequences for preaching our, the gospel in our nation are nothing like what Peter and John and the rest of the early church faced in their nation. We have the ability to freely preach the word of God to those around us, and we need to make full use of it. We've been given the gospel, which is the good deposit in our lives, and we guard that by we guard that deposit by keeping to sound doctrine, by not being ashamed of the gospel, and thirdly, by entrusting the gospel to others. Find verse two in, in chapter two of uh, chapter one of Second Timothy. Starting in verse two, it says, "To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord." I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. This night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. There are two relationships that Paul mentions here, which Timothy um, benefited from in his faith. The first is the discipleship relationship between Paul and Timothy, where Paul acted as Timothy's mentor. The second is Timothy's mother and grandmother and the faith that they taught to him. Both of these relationships had great value in the shaping of Timothy as a man of God. So I want us to look at how these types of relationships are beneficial and how we can mirror them in our lives. We mentioned in the beginning how Paul refers to Timothy as his son in the faith, both here and in the first letter that he wrote to Timothy. Paul was a mentor to Timothy. He taught Timothy about what it means to be a Christian and what it requires to be a pastor and a leader in the church. And the relationship that these two men had should serve as an example to us in a couple key ways. The first is that we should seek out a mentor in our faith. Paul learned the gospel from Christ and he confirmed it and checked it with the other apostles as we noted earlier in Galatians. These are the mentors that Paul had in his faith. And because he had mentors, he was confident in the gospel that he was teaching And he made sure to invest in others such as Timothy. That's something that each of us should seek out. No matter how old or young you are, no matter how many days or years have passed since you have become a Christian, we should all seek out someone who can serve as a mentor to us in our faith. None of us have mastered the Christian life and have since graduated from the necessity of continually growing in our faith. We all have areas of weakness and room for growth in our faith, so we should all seek out someone who can serve as a mentor to us in our faith. The second way is to be mentoring someone in their faith. Now, there are qualifications for leaders and for teachers of the word of God that are written clearly in both 1 Timothy and Titus. And if we don't meet those standards, then we should wait until we are more mature in our faith um, before we lead others. But, but once we are at that point, we should embrace the opportunity to share the word of God with others. Paul knew that the faith that he had been given by Christ was not just for his own benefit but also for the benefit of those around him. And he used the faith that he had to preach the gospel and to mentor men like Timothy. We should be looking for opportunities to share the faith that we have been given to benefit others who are also seeking to surrender their lives to Christ. The second relationship that we can learn from in this section is the relationship that Timothy had with his mother and his grandmother. Paul mentions in verse 5 that the sincere faith that Timothy had was first in his grandmother and then also in his mother. Timothy represented the third generation in his family who had a sincere faith for Christ, and that's no coincidence. The way that his grandmother raised his mother and the way that his mother raised him had a massive impact on Timothy's life. I was raised in a Christian family. I'm I'm very, very blessed to have grandparents and parents who have a sincere faith. I'm the youngest of uh, three three siblings, and I have uh, benefited from having older siblings that share a very sincere faith as well. And growing up in a Christian household where we were taught the importance of reading the Bible, of praying, of going to church, following God's commands, and and also just being taught um, to know the love that God has for me, it all had a very huge impact on my life. My parents also made the sacrifice to send me and my siblings to Christian schools from kindergarten through high school. And I want to be clear because raising uh, children in a Christian home is not the same thing as ordering a pizza on the Pizza Hut website. Um, if you're ordering that pizza, you follow the steps. You pick out the the cheese, you add the pepperonis, hopefully. Um, you pick out the type of crust you want, and then you enter in your credit card, and you're guaranteed that when you get to the store, that pizza is going to be waiting for you exactly how you ordered it. Um, but that's not the same as it is when we, when, as it is with raising children. You can do all the right things as a parent, and your children can still choose to not accept Christ. And I was raised in an awesome environment that promoted faith in Christ, but when I grew up, I still had to make that decision on my own. But we as Christians have been told in verses like 1 Corinthians 4 verse 2 that we need to be good stewards of what God has given us. And raising children or grandchildren in a home that edifies Christ is a huge way that we can do that. So if you have kids or if you have grandkids, really take note of the impact that Timothy's grandmother and mother had on his faith and seek to have that same impact on those God has given you the opportunity to influence. We've been given the gospel which is the good deposit in our lives, and we guard that deposit by keeping to sound doctrine, by not being ashamed of the gospel and by entrusting the gospel to others. Read verses 11 through 14 with me. And of this gospel, I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you heard from me, keep is the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Paul begins verse 11, reiterating this responsibility as a teacher of the word of God. A responsibility that we've looked at and one that we all have to one degree or another. In verse 12, he shows his confidence that God will deliver the salvation that he has promised us. In verse 14, begins with Paul's charge to Timothy to guard the good deposit, which is faith in Christ. But then in the second half of verse 14, the weight is taken off of his shoulders to execute these instructions. Paul encourages Timothy that he will not be alone to fight to guard the good deposit, but that he will have the help of the Holy Spirit. And that's an amazing thing. God does not lay out these instructions for us and expect us to do it alone. When he calls us to keep to sound doctrine, he promises that we will have the strength of the Holy Spirit to resist false teaching, and that we will have wisdom that the Spirit provides in discerning what is right from what is wrong. When he calls us to not be ashamed of the gospel, he promises us that our faith is built on the firm foundation of his promises, and that those who trust in him will never be put to shame. When he calls us to entrust the gospel to others, he promises us that when we don't know what to say, the Spirit will give us the words to say. We've been called to guard the good deposit and God has given us the Holy Spirit to help us accomplish that. Each day and each moment we can rely on the Holy Spirit to help us guard the good deposit of faith which God has given us. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word and I thank you for how clear your word is. I pray, Lord, that... uh, as we go from here, that you would help each one of us to guard the deposit that you've given us. And if there are those here today who who have not um, received that faith, who do not have that deposit because they've not chosen to believe in you, I pray that today would be the day that they would do that. And for those of us who have accepted you, God, I pray that you would help us to rely on you and help us to make a commitment to, uh, to guarding that deposit, to living our lives in a way that honor you and bring glory to your name. I pray all this in your name. Amen.